Well, good evening. I have a question to start off our conversation tonight, and also I'm praying, and you can pray with me, that I don't fall in these heels onto all of these flames, because uh, that might make for a pretty memorable Christmas, I think. Uh, but I have a question to start you off this, this evening, and that is, have you ever asked the question, why me? <laughs> yeah? Anybody, like, brave enough to raise their hand and say, yeah, I've asked the question, why me, right? And if we're honest, most of us have asked this question. And I remember specifically, when I was growing up, I asked this question a lot during Christmas um, because my parents had this tradition. Uh, We would have an Advent wreath in my house, and we had to read the longest Advent readings ever. Um, And we lit the candles, and it was beautiful. And then we would have this tradition on Christmas Eve. We would all eat different kinds of soups that my mom made. And uh, my mom would make oyster stew. Why me, right? Okay. Uh, that was pretty gross. Uh, and then she, we had a tradition that we would open presents on Christmas Eve night after all of the dishes were put away, after the different kinds of soup, after Christmas Eve service. And did I mention, my parents never believed in a dishwasher, okay? And there were a lot of times that I questioned, why me? Like, (laughs) why can I not be one of the normal kids whose parents use the dishwasher? And why can't I be the normal people that don't do candles and don't have traditions? Why me? And now when I get older and I become a pastor, why me has taken a different form uh, for myself and for those around me. Why me during this holiday looks a lot more like uh, everything was going great, and then it happened. It hit the fan, okay? (laughs) It happened. And I don't know what it is. Usually it starts by saying, you know, I was, it was, I was going okay. I had good friends, good job, good relationship, good this, good that, good whatever. And then it happened. It happened, and it's not a small, minor inconvenience, no. The it that happens are usually major league interruptions. Maybe you lose your job and you can't pay your bills. Maybe your spouse decides that they can't be married anymore. Maybe a family member is interrupted in a big way. Or you lose somebody that's incredibly close to you. And life just seems to throw an exceptionally twisted curveball. And around Christmas, you find yourself asking, why me? And it's no longer about presents and silly things like oyster stoop, stew, <laughs> stoop, um, oyster stew, and things that don't make any difference. Now you find yourself asking, why me? Because the nightmares that used to keep you up at night now have become a reality. And it becomes less about survival in this moment. There's no celebration at all. It says, how can I make it through this season? How can I do enough? How can I look well enough? How can I be enough so that nobody will know that it has happened? And we get to this season, and suddenly it's December 1st, and it's Christmas season. And it's as if December 1 suddenly kicks this switch into thinking that everything is perfect. And that just isn't true. And then we have baby, a baby lying in a manger. 
And for most of us, it doesn't even think, we don't think of Savior, we think of an empty symbol for an empty holiday. And we think, why me? Why do I have to pile all of these things on my plate specifically around this time of year? And that question, it morphs a little bit. It goes to, my, why me? To, if God is so good, why isn't my life so good? If God is so good, why is my life not so good? And for Christmas, this series we have been in is, there is still hope for Christmas. Maybe you find yourself asking a different question this this evening is, is there still hope for me? Is there still hope for me? So let's find out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this evening, and this is the account of the Christmas story that's probably the most beautiful account. This is the one that you read before you go to sleep tonight, you know, by the fireplace, and it's beautiful. So let, let me read this to you. Luke 1 verse 26. It says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what this angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. That's pretty cool, right? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And this is a beautiful picture of Christmas, isn't it? It's gorgeous. It's stunning. It is, it is awe-inspiring. It's like a Hallmark movie, <laughs> you know? You know, the, there's a couple that they look relatively the same, and then there's this wonderful twist of things, and then Eventually, no matter what, they both ride off on horse-drawn carriage into the white abyss of Christmas, right? And if you're in here and you love those Hallmark movies, I just got to say, you've seen one, you've seen them all, okay? Uh, but, but this is like those movies, is it not? You know, this is this beautiful moment where an angel of the Lord shows up to Mary and she says, yes, Lord. And the rest is this miraculous happening. And I think that the reason this is so beautiful is that it is. But also, it makes it kind of irrelevant to us, doesn't it? It makes it sort of like, when I look at this story, my life doesn't look a lot like this story. You know, when I look at the mess of my life, and then I look at the beauty of Christmas, I don't see myself in Christmas. So I want to read another version of this a couple books back in Matthew. And I want to see if you can notice the difference in how Matthew portrays this story. He says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph was her husband, was faithful to the law. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. 
He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Have you noticed the difference already? After that, he considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from sins. And, like, look, what is happening in here is, is much different than what happens in Luke, almost. It's much more real. It's much more down-to-earth. And, like, go here with me. These are two wonderful people. They come from great families. And then all of a sudden, life throws them the craziest of curveballs. Think about Mary in this moment. She's a teenage girl with her life ahead of her. She's from a good family. She has a good fiancé. And suddenly they say, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. And she's confused and disturbed, which I think is kind of an understatement, if that was me. Um, The angel says, you're going to have a child. And not only are you going to have a child, you're going to have the Messiah of the world. No pressure, Mary. (laughs) No pressure, Joseph. And suddenly, Joseph, he says, well, I guess I'll just divorce her quietly. I'll just make this go away. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now this is, if you're Joseph, this isn't a good Christmas present, you know? When you come home and you find your fiancé, who you have not been with, pregnant, uh, joy for all is not there, right? And then look what happens. Joseph says, essentially, I love you, but I don't believe you. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quickly. And just like that, it happens. Joseph decides that he's going to leave her quietly. And she's pregnant and possibly completely lost it. And an angel comes to the Lord, or comes to him and says, Joseph, you're going to marry her. You're going to love her. And to top it off, don't be afraid. Any dads in the room, okay? When you had your firstborn child, were you a little afraid? <laughs> like, if you see dads when they first become dads, it is like a terror that rivals all other terrors, you know? All of a sudden, I have this wonderful potato-looking child, and somehow I am going to take care of them and make sure they're not into drugs and on the streets, you know? Somehow I'm going to make sure that this child is protected and cared for. And that's just like normal circumstances. This isn't even your kid. Oh, and by the way, it's the Messiah of the world. I think that it's fair to say that Joseph probably was scared out of his mind. What do do you mean to tell me that I have to take care of this Messiah of the world that is not even my son? And this isn't even a normal pregnancy. Imagine what the next nine months looked like in their culture. You think that Mary got a baby shower? You think she got to register at Target? You, know, you think that she got to do all of the things that women who have children do? Absolutely not. And then, man, things go from bad to worse because there's a census decreed. 
And this isn't like we think census. This isn't like a guy in a polo knocks on your door and counts heads, you know, not like that. No, this means that they would have to go back to the town that his ancestors arrived from, which was 75 miles away in Bethlehem. Now, to put this into our perspectives, that would be like me saying to somebody, you have to go all the way to Denver with a nine-month-old pregnant lady on a donkey. Have you ever traveled with a pregnant woman? It is not peace on earth. <laughs> it is not goodwill towards men, right? <laughs> you know? And they travel along this long journey on donkey. And then, to make it even worse, her water breaks, probably on the donkey. Yikes! And to make it worse, Joseph, he did not make reservations. They get there and there's no place for them to stay because everybody else and their dog is going to Bethlehem right now. And they get there and, he, and I can only imagine if I am Mary in this moment, I don't even think I have words anymore. I just got to look, you know? <laughs> Wives, you have that look. You know you do. Or you say, you done goofed. And like, this is, this is bad news. And, and then Joseph, he finds a place for her to give birth to this baby Messiah of the world, a barn, which was most likely in a cave. If I am Mary in this moment, like, <laughs> okay, Joseph, I really wanted to have my firstborn son next to where my burgers are made. You know, like, this is not ideal. This is messy. <laughs> this is chaotic. And the angel of the Lord, remember what he said to Mary at the beginning? Greetings, you who have found favor with the Lord. This is favor? I'd hate to see him mad, okay? <laughs> I can't even imagine that. Why in this world is this happening to me? Why me? Why now? I had everything planned out. Listen, do you ever find yourself asking the same question? Why me? Why now? Nothing's working out. Why now? And you are in the thick of a serious mess. And maybe you're here tonight singing Christmas songs that are all about peace and joy and wonder and God's glory. And you might think to yourself, yeah, right. If God is so good and Christ is so wonderful, why is my life a mess? There may be a lot of magic in the air and beautiful lights everywhere, but my life doesn't look like that. And if, if tonight you are asking that question, I want you to hear this, that Jesus did not come to make things easy. He came to make them right. He did not come to make them easy. He came to make them right. He didn't come to make life comfortable. He came to fix the mess that humanity had gotten themselves into. He invaded our world as a baby, and this isn't like the Christmas cards depict it. This is messy. He left the awe of heaven and entered into a barn. And he, and he didn't come to make it comfortable. He came to make it right, and we know that we love the rendition of the nativity scene in Luke. But we need the rendition of Matthew. Because Matthew reminds us that God is in the business of walking into the worst of situations. 
He is in the business of showing up when the chips are down. He is in the business of coming in and not snapping his fingers and fixing it all, but walking with you. And this is the hope of Christmas, that God sees our messes of our lives, the ones that we have made and the ones that have made us. And he walks in declaring that he isn't done with you. He walks in and says, this is not where I say it is finished. This is not where the story is over. There is restoration in the name of Christ. Christ came as a perfect, spotless Savior, carried the weight of your sin and of my sin so that we might be in a relationship with God. A relationship that walks in, that does not abandon us when it hits the fan, that does not run the other direction when our lives get messy. But he walks with us. I love this verse in John 16, verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Tonight, maybe you have heard that for the first time or the 50th. You know, maybe you already knew what that was going to say and that verse verbatim. But we're going to have a time of worship closing here where Maybe if you need to welcome Christ into your life and into your mess for the first time or the 50th, I just want to invite you to do that. I, I want to encourage you to make this the last Christmas that you celebrate it without making it personal. See, this story is not a story about lights and uh, presents and Santa Claus. It's a story about Jesus Christ coming in the worst of circumstances and loving us. I want you to take a posture of prayer with me right now. That might mean that you bow your head and you close your eyes. That might mean that you stand up. But I want, as you are in this posture of prayer, in light of Christ's sacrifice and his entrance into the world, in light of our biggest messes, I want to read this verse to you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, there are a million things that seem to separate us from you. God, we have really great excuses as to why we maybe aren't feeling Christmas this year. Lord, we have a million reasons as to why our lives look like messes. But God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would invite us in again. God, you would invite us into a story that is not finished. Lord, as we light these candles and sing about your entrance into the world, Lord, I pray that it would spark hope within us. 
Lord, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. God, we believe in you, we trust in you, and we ask that you would be about our church as we end in worship of your holy and perfect name. It's in Jesus' name. If you guys would like to stand with me as we end in worship. <laughs>